Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner. Cahan is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncha Springs in Chaffee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. To experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889. Well, welcome, friends, to another edition of On the Rails. With me, Forrest Whitman, your host. We talk about um, lots of things from my old, from the Cahen caboose. Sitting here in the Cahen caboose today with uh, Phil Helfrich. And uh, Phil's got his feet up next to the coal stove. So we got a lot of heat, in the, which we need in the caboose this morning. Now, and sitting up in the head end is, of course, our uh, intrepid uh, engineer, Rick White, who's searching the rails ahead of us so we don't run. Last week, we almost ran over a, a maiden tied up across the tracks. It <laughs> yeah, was, it was, that, was, that was exciting. Thank you for that intro, Forrest. And it looks like, as far as I can see right now, we've got clear sailing today. All okay. right. <laughs> okay. Well, Phil, welcome to the caboose. Um, are you warm where you are at your little house over there? Yeah, the little casita is very cozy, but it's still kind of chilly when you step outside, which I just did. But what we want to talk about this morning uh, started, at least for me, was when we stood next to the road right where uh, right where Highway 50 branches to head up towards the, uh, the wet mountains and looked up and saw way up there the top of the corkscrew the old rail bed for the Denver and Rio Grande Railroad as it uh, left the valley and headed on up to the Wet Mountain Valley. And we wondered, gee, would that be a good thing for rails to trails? And then I said, well, Phil, you used to do rails to trails uh, professionally. And uh, we both looked up there and said, that would be a great trail to walk. You walk around the course, well, around that, then you could you could leave there at the top of the cork screw <laughs> and walk all the way if you wanted to to West Cliff, Silver Cliff, and uh, that would be a wonderful walk. And we thought about all the problems with that. And anyway, that sort of gave the idea for what we're going to do today. And um, so welcome. So join in there, Phil, with your ideas and thoughts. Well, yeah. You know, um, I was thinking, Forrest, our next uh, adventure, maybe we had to cross that creek and try and get up on that trail, because I think right there, where you can see it from the highway, I, we should find out who owns it, if anyone, maybe get permission. But it would, I'd like to walk part of that trail and see what kind of shape it's in, if there's any washouts, how much of it is left, if it's, is it intact, 
Um, I know there is one big washout that you can kind of see from the road, but it would be interesting. And, or maybe we could take it from the other end, go up to uh, where the gray presumably heads out in Westcliff and walk downhill. But it would be interesting just to go out and survey it and see what that trail is like before we get too wound up about it. Right. Well, we are, we are, we are wound up about historic trails. And, um, and I'm still kind of wound up about possibilities someday of getting the uh, Rio Grande main line through, through Salida and on up over the pass and all the way on down to Pueblo, someday getting that open again. And uh, we've, we, we've had discussions and the railroad is there. And um, well, I know, I know, we'll just have to see. That's futuristic. But uh, in the meantime, uh, as, we, as we looked up there, we did think, gosh, wouldn't this be something? Now, Texas Creek itself, as a creek, which the railroad followed, Texas Creek itself is not a very big creek. It's pretty small. The railroad originally tried to go up Grape Creek. I, have you ever walked up Grape Creek? Phil? No, but I've seen it, and I, that's another place we had to walk. That Grape Creek washed out a lot, didn't it? Washed out a lot, yeah. yeah. I think maybe still washes out, yeah. Yeah. Huh. So there, there are a lot of possibilities. To, there are endless possibilities, really, to do railroad walking around this part of the world. I mean, so much of that infrastructure was built, and it's still there. A lot of that railbed is, uh, you know, still there, and still would be fun to, to do. Now, Phil, what were the considerate what when you would look at something like that for rails to trails? What were your considerations? Uh, a good a good place to start. I was thinking about that, Forrest. Um, I, I think a good place to start would be um, to gauge interest locally to, uh, you know, God forbid we should form a committee, but maybe form a committee. And, um, <laughs> One more committee. Yeah, yeah, just to see, you know, if folks are interested in that kind of thing. So it's not just you and I out waving a banner. Uh, but I think there's a really active trails community here, and the the route that we're talking about would really be interesting because it's historic, it's pretty, and you know it goes it would zip right into Westcliff. What a ride that would be! And you wouldn't have to ride the highway and get killed. I don't think you would get killed, but um, not the, 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 no, no, no. The, so what we the, anyway to get back to the, the first thing I think would be to find out who owns, if anyone, the, that railroad grade. And when the railroads abandon um, railroad grades, it all depended on uh, the underlying grant to the railroad. So sometimes the uh, federal government ceded the land to them, which I think was usually the case in Colorado, since there wasn't a whole lot of private ownership yet in some of these places. And in that case, when the government, when the railroad abandoned it, it might revert back to uh, federal property, and you might, you know, that that might be an easier acquisition than if it reverted back to an adjacent landowner. So that would be one of the first things you'd have to do is see who actually owned that old railroad grade, and that would be that would be a bit of, that would take some work. You had to go through the old county records and look for ownership and. Um, if it, if it had reverted to private property or if it was a patchwork, 
then there'd be a lot of people to contact and, and see what they thought about the idea. You know, would it be a massive headache? Uh, would you be in favor of it? What would be the benefits? What would be the drawbacks? And uh, what kind of money are we looking at? We but would Forrest, be Forrest, at fortunately, Forrest said he would pay for the whole thing. So no, I, no, thought, that was, I thought that was really, uh, you know, considerate on your part. You're, you're right. Yeah, that, that, that gets, yeah, that's, that, that gets us, that gets us somewhere. <laughs> the price of lunch maybe gets us. But, um, but it is so impressive when you're, you're standing there where uh, Texas Creek uh, joins the, uh, joins the big river right there, looking up and say, up, 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 and see that corkscrew going around up there. That must have been something for the railroad engineers to say, well, we want to get up to, uh, to Westcliff, which wasn't Westcliff yet. It was, it was Silvercliff in those days. How do we get up there? Uh, well, we're going to have to go around and around and around this promontory here, whatever it's called, and then follow the stream uh, up to, uh, to Silvercliff. I mean, they must have scratched their heads uh, looking at that, and yet they... They built it, and as you say, you can walk it. I mean, uh, I, we shouldn't say this because it's trespassing, but people who have trespassed have gotten around the bottom loop of the corkscrew itself before they realized, uh oh, that that's a gulch. You'd have to go down into that gulch up the other side, whereas it was crossed, but with a bridge, you see, by by the railroad, and. Uh, I don't know what. What do you think about that, Phil? Is uh, that you know an easier route would be just? I think there was a bridge across the um, the highway there, right? Yes, it went over the highway exactly. Yeah, I think the, but so. And if you look, you can see. I don't know if it's a spur, but you can see a railroad grade on um, the west side, or I'm sorry, the that the north side i guess north side no, the west, well whatever the, the right side as you're going the right on. side yeah, yeah right. the right side yeah pros to the wrong side and um and you can walk part of that part of that grade is there and then you can see how it would sort of connect but as far as the part that you can see from the road when you pull off and the one and, and the route that you see in the distance i have no idea how far that goes do you farce i you know i really do not know well, we know what they were trying to do. Well, we know what General Palmer was trying to do with the Rio Grande was he, since, since he was trying to get money out of this, he wanted to hit every silver mine he could get to. And a big owner was his buddy, Bell. Uh, and Bell, I can't think of his first name, uh, but uh, uh, Bell was a, a major silver mine owner. And he owned a lot of silver in Silver Cliff, uh, which was right next to what is now West Cliff. And, and um, he was a, a good friend of General Palmer's. So we know that this is the kind of thing Palmer was, would do. He would run his rails up there, pull out the silver, and uh, it was still pretty much government guaranteed because part of the basis for the U.S. dollar was the silver reserve that until 1893, we have maintained a huge, you know, silver and gold uh, reserve to back the, uh, the U.S. dollar. So we, we, I mean, we know what General Palmer was trying to do, 
and along with his buddy uh, Bell, and uh, that's what, what 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 what. But but how the heck? How did they do that? How did they think that would would work? And uh, we know that originally they went up Grape Creek. They tried to go up Grape Grape Creek, and uh, but it uh, washed out so often. So then they went back to to the current, even though they had to do the corkscrew. And I imagine a pretty stiff little grade all the way up to what is today Westcliff. And, um, and, and of course, Silvercliff was a big deal. Now, when certainly, as we all know, and in, in when the Rio Grande first really kind of came through here, why uh, that, that was, that was the third largest town in Colorado. Isn't that amazing to think about the, the third largest town? I was behind Denver uh, a little bit. Uh, I think behind Pueblo, maybe a little bit. But it was it was a big town. And all that silver ore was coming out. And it depended on the railroad to 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 get it out. So so we sort of know what what they were thinking. But why did they do it the way in? And how did they do it that way? And um, yeah, I don't know. What's your speculation on all that, Phil? Uh, I don't know. I don't know the history as well as you do, but but I think about when I when I walk to those places or when I go to uh, West Cliff or Silver Cliff, I'm always interested in uh, what happened there. You know the the struggles. I mean, uh, Rosita had crazy stuff. You know, the the a gang moved into to Rosita and took over the town. And uh, there was a big shootout and all the um, all the men in Rosita got armed and killed all the people who took over the town and were robbing it. And um, it's stories like that, that um, if you somehow you could portray them or at least um, you couldn't lay the whole story out because man, it's just too long. But if you could figure out a way to make a pamphlet or um, just tell the stories of what happened along the trails, you know, uh, if you could find those stories, I think it would just be fascinating because it, it gives you such a sense of history on what it was like to settle this, this valley and the struggles that people uh, had and uh, the boomer bust stuff that always happened. You were broke one day and uh, rich the next. It, it's just, um, it's incredible history and the geology too, that whole, that, you know, all the fault lines around there and the mountains just jut up out of nowhere. And um, it's, it's just really fascinating geology, the way the valleys drop down, you know, um, it's, it's real unusual. So I, I think you, you would have an opportunity, not just to recreate, but to educate to get out there if you did it right and to um, create some kind of way of transmitting that knowledge if people wanted to learn about it. So as they walked along, they'd get a sense of the history of the place, what, what, what their ancestors or other people's ancestors did. Um, and it, you just get a sense of place, you know, like when you walk around Salida, you want to know what happened here, what happened there. And this is just another, you know, extension of that in my mind. Oh, no, you're right. It, that's all so rich. Well, and you're mentioning the, the uh, what, whatever we call them, the, these vigilante groups. Uh, and I had, I had not known that before, that 
they actually exterminated the outlaws. And but apparently the vigilantes would do that. Um, well, you were mentioning someone's let a woman who wrote a letter about a vigilante hanging. Oh what, yeah, yeah, yeah. In in uh, I think this was in Rosita, if I'm not mistaken. I read I, I met a gal up there who was the town clerk. And she showed me all around and she was really into the cemeteries. And there's a great old cemetery up there in Rosita. And as we were walking around the cemeteries, uh, she started reading this letter to me that and it was a handwritten letter and it came into her possession and it was dated in the uh, 1880s by uh, a woman, a young, I'm presuming a young lady who lived up there with her family. And she woke up one morning and outside her window, a young man had been hung. So that, that was her reality, you know, that, uh, whoa, <laughs> that's not something you see every day. And um, as she read the letter and um, uh, the letter kind of wandered around and it, and it went to a physician's point of view, a doctor who worked up there in um, that area. And he talked about, he was so tired of pulling bullets out of people you know, that I guess it was a lot of gunplay. So he did uh, lead mining and everybody else did gold mining. Um, but it, 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 yeah, it, it just it gives you such a sense of what it must have been like. And it wasn't that long ago. You know, you carried a six gun on your hip. You, you carried a shovel. Um, you know, you battle the elements. Um it must have just been a heck of a hard life and full of promise if you struck it rich. I, I suppose. And then what interests me, too, is that, well, Palmer was uh, General Palmer. I mean, with his Rio Grande Railroad, he he really saw himself as a Colorado promoter, a Colorado raconteur, if you will. And and but most of them didn't. Most of them, most of them just wanted to make their pile and then go back to Delaware or Massachusetts or Pennsylvania or wherever they, they came from. They, I mean, they didn't like it out here very much. And apparently they, they, and they didn't put in many windows. I always thought that was interesting. Here you are in the Rocky mountains, developing, building a, a, a town, certainly in the case of Silvercliff and, and Rosita. And yet you don't put in any windows. <laughs> I've often thought about that. I don't know. Phil, do you think about that kind of stuff? Or is no, that... not, until this, not until this moment, but I do think about <laughs> what, it, what it must have been like to, um, to be there and what your life would be like and, you know, your hopes and your aspirations that, that um, the big strike was right around the corner, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but in the meantime, how am I going to get enough money together to feed myself tonight? And, um, you know, the backbreaking work of, of mining and, um, you know, pinning your hopes on hitting it big. It, it just must have been wild, you know. And then when you would go into town, you'd, you'd probably work yourself to death during the day. And then when you go into town, you probably just wanted to cut loose and, you know, kick up your heels. And um, I don't know. It just it's just wild. Colorado has, this, in, in my mind, has a, just this wild kind of history that if you go looking for it, you can still find remnants of it, you know, like in these trails and they, they take you to the places where you think about that. Yes. And with good interpretive signs, 
I, I would think you you would. And then, well, then the whole thing, suddenly, now it's suddenly 1893, the federal government says, well, we're not going to subsidize the cost of silver anymore. And suddenly silver, which would have been selling for, oh, I don't know, 100 bucks plus an ounce, now it's selling for like $3 an ounce. And so the whole thing kind of came, kind of came crashing down. And of course, General Palmer's Rio Grande Railroad, which he loved, which he just, that was the center of his world, really. All of a sudden, the Rio Grande was in receivership. Not that the, well, not that the Rio Grande Railroad ever really made a lot of money. That's also mythology that somehow Palmer was super rich. He, he really wasn't. I mean, the Rio Grande would barely make a profit some years and then the next year not. And it was in receivership three times. I mean, it, in today's terms, that would be not a successful venture. And yet, because he uh, he loved that railroad and he loved Colorado and Coloradans pretty much loved him, not maybe as, as much as Moffat. When, when Moffat started his railroad, they really loved him. But, but Palmer, they, they still liked him. And, you know, you wonder, well, what, what, and of course, all the myths about Palmer and his, his wife, Queenie Palmer, oh gosh, we could spend a whole hour talking about that. And, but I don't know, Phil, is there, is there any industry that's loved that much today? I, I don't know. Yeah, I'd be, me either. Um, I have no idea, but, but I tell you, when you, when you talk about that stuff, Forrest, I, I think about the men who must have lived on, you know, as they were building the railroads, did they sleep at night on the flat cars when they were building the railroad? And if they did, man, it must have been cold. And how would they eat? Did, did they, you know, who, who brought supplies? What did they make a day? Um, I'd be interested in those kind of details just to, to get a really, um, I don't know, concrete sense of what life was like as a railroad builder, if you were just a, a work person. Yeah. There's some nice novels out, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead, Phil. Sorry. No, that was, that. you know, I I just think about that. When I'm on those old grades, you know, they they must have laid the rails and then they would drag a flat car with more rails. And then at at night, I I don't know, where would you sleep? If you worked all day long and it was cold, you'd probably want to sleep on a flat car. It wouldn't be as cold as the ground. How would you stay warm and um, how would you feed yourself? And what did you make a day? I'd like to know that. How much would you make a dollar a day, three dollars a day? Well, of course, the um, but if you waited a while, then they would, of course, be able to drag up a dormitory car to to sleep in, and maybe even a cook car for for uh, lunches and dinners and stuff. But you'd have to, as you say, you'd have to wait a while. You're not going to pull that kind of heavy freight up. Certainly not the first day, and probably. <laughs> not for a couple of days before you things were to the point where you could start pull something up. And remember they had to go around the, the corkscrew down at the bottom. Uh, although I suppose they would have kept the cook car down where the little restaurant is, which I think is a pretty good little restaurant, by the way, people who have eaten there. Yeah. yeah. It's right on route 50. It's right where uh, maybe it's called the, the Texas Creek diners. I don't know what Something. I, have you ever eaten there? Oh yeah, I love that place. Oh, really? Yeah, it's great. 
Hmm. Well, see, we've got we've got some, and even if it's snowy, you can still make some of these trips. Although, apparently, uh, a third of the runs, proposed runs, uh, just didn't make it. There was so much snow. Uh, now, climate change has changed all that. We don't get snows like that, where they would wake up in the morning and the snow was halfway up the side of the caboose, you know, and the engine was snowed in. I mean, I don't, I don't think we'd, we'd I, we'll never probably ever with climate change get those kind of snows again. But um, amazing, just amazing when you, as you say, and we could, in, all that, when, when we build our fantasy trail here, which we call Phil's Fantasy Trail, <laughs> The, the Phil Helfrich folly, I like that. Yeah, yeah, the Phil Helfrich mm. <laughs> fantasy trail. But well, um, I'd, be, I'd be curious to know what our host thinks about all this, and you know, as we chatter on here, how does how does it strike you? So we so we back here in the caboose try to jiggle the air. That's the old way you'd get the engineer awake. Jiggle, jiggle, wake up up there. Oh, I'm awake up here. Actually, I got, I'm going to have to draw this thing to a little bit of a stop. I've got, I've got a bull moose coming from the left and a, oh. and a uh, cow moose coming from the right. And they seem like they like each other. And um, while I've got this engine stopped, I got a couple guys that are going to pull these moose off the track. I would like to encourage your listeners uh, online listeners to go over to that donate button. K-H-E-N is having their fall fundraiser and we need your help. Hit that donate button. Send us some money. Forrest needs it. I need it. K-H-E-N needs it. Oh, okay. They got, I didn't think we got, got any money. <laughs> they, they got the two uh, lovebird mooses pulled off to the right and the left. And so we'll be able to continue on now. And we just have a few more minutes in this half for us. So let's uh, figure out how we're going to draw this up in the next couple minutes. Well, I think Phil just tossed you the question for this whole show, which is what, what would motivate people to put the money in to make this fantasy trail so that we could have lunch at the little restaurant there on Route 50 and then get on the road up to Westcliff and go walk around the corkscrew and follow the, follow the stream all the way up to uh, Westcliff and Silvercliff and uh, from Silvercliff then follow on to, uh, well, Rosarita, on to Rosarita and what so, would be what would excite that kind of interest? And you know, I like that's the question. The the length of the trail would be like how how long? It's what twenty miles or more from Highway Fifty up to Silvercliff. Yeah. So it's not really yeah. a walking trail. It would be more it, well a walking trail, but it would be more for bicyclers. Is that right? To be able to cover enough ground. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I would it, think so. And that's the the majority of uh, the, I'm sure that people walk certain sections of these uh, uh, rails to trails, trails, but a lot of it is for bicyclers. Yeah, well, you can cover a lot more area. Uh-huh. 
Save your now. Save what your about motor motorbikes? Well, they don't really allow those on the uh, on these uh, trails. These uh, re rails to trails things, correct? No, no. I think, motor. I think it depends on um, the people who organize a trail and build it. What they want to do. Um, we didn't when we built parts of the Uncompahgre Riverway, we didn't allow motorized transportation on it, but that doesn't mean you couldn't. Oh my goodness. Well, look, we need to wrap up this segment of On the Rails uh, as we have our special guest here, uh, a knowledgeable person when it comes to rails to trails. And uh, that's uh, Phil Halfrich. And uh, Phil's sitting there smiling. Do you have any final word before we say hi ball and take our break before we go to segment two no nope i don't either at the count of three we'll do the high ball one two three breathe in high ball high ball high ball Cahen is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh-baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood-fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. Cahen and Little Red Hen – just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida. 